And then uh, if you have to cough, something like that, just be like, excuse me, hold on a minute, and we can. Okay. It was funny when I was talking with Clark Brown, like he was over there like dying. like Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? And he's like, I have to cough. I was like, just, just cough. Just like, cough. I'll, I'll just edit it out. It was funny. All right, here we go. Welcome to the GMS Podcast, brought to you by GMS Distribution. GMS specializes in temporary portable power distribution equipment for the restoration contractor. I am your host and owner of GMS, Jared Steer, and today I will be talking to my friends. Yeah, there we go. We we are live. I am here with Huey, and we are in, well, I flew into New Orleans, and then I know when I drove up here, it was about a two-hour, 15-minute drive, came through Baton Rouge. Where where are we? Well, you're actually in Scott, Louisiana, which is uh, just right outside of Lafayette. So we're in Scott. We're in Scott. We're in Scott. And I'm here with Huey. Huey, uh, I'll let you go ahead and, and do like a little better introduction to yourself. Let everybody know who you are. So I, my name is Huey Miller, Jr. I'm a second-generation restorer, um, service master of Lafayette. The business has been here 60 years. So we've been around and seen the beginning, the good changes, the bad changes, you know, the industry. I was going to say 60 years. Yeah, that's – you're you're easily the the guest with the most experience, most years so far. Well, maybe like most years. I don't know about most experience. <laughs> <laughs> so 60 years, where – I guess when your dad started this, how old were you? Where were, where are you coming up? I was this? one year – one year old when he okay. started the business. So you – as far as you can remember, sir, is it, has it always been a service master? It always – Yes. So service master. So as far as you can remember, it's always been. Yes. It's yes. Been I mean, it, as far as I can remember, you know, in the yellow vehicles and, yeah, you know, ask me why I didn't want to drive the yellow vehicle to school or, <laughs> or didn't date when I was in high school is because all I had to drive was a yellow station wagon. Everything, and was, so, yellow. Yeah, everything was yellow. It's like, no, I'm, not, I'm good. I'm just going to stay home Saturday night. That's so funny. Well, so 60 years how many service masters were there? I mean, this has to be one of the first ones. Is that right? I think he was in the first 40. Okay. Now, he, he is the oldest original owner now. You know, okay. A couple of years ago. He's 88 now, so the guys that were older than him have you know, started passing. Sure. You know, or sold their business or somebody else took over, but he's the oldest original owner of a franchise now. Now, how is he still involved in, in any, anything that's happening? Uh, he's, he's 100% owner of the business, Yep, but he leaves it to me and my two brothers to run. So you guys, you guys are the right. ones running the show right. manage and everything. Right. Okay. And when did you get, when did you get started? Was it, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you were helping family oh, business. I, I was helping throughout right. high school. And uh, yes, I, I mean, I, I can remember being out on, smoke damage jobs or carpet cleaning jobs, you know, when I was eight or nine years old. Uh, um, back when he first started, it was a lot of floor work, carpet cleaning and stuff. So okay. I can remember sitting on the roto when he was stripping oh. floors <laughs> to give it a little more weight so the so it would work and strip better, you know. So I, I, that's kind of where I learned my balance was, you know, trying to, trying to sit on the roto without falling off while somebody was stripping a floor. But I actually, I oh, guess, so funny. Full time since I was 15 years old. Okay. So uh, got a driver's license. Yep. Was made a crew chief and get after it. And you haven't looked back. 
well <laughs> <laughs> i'm always looking over my shoulder but yeah it's <laughs> now what is it about uh i mean with family business and you you're coming into it has it just been like you were just always going to do this or is it is there really like a passion on your side i mean you have to kind of like what you do but well where is it for you yeah i mean it i hated it at first okay know, there's no way i was going to do this you know when I, when I was younger you know um and then it's you know, life happens, right? You yeah. Know, so it's like I told you earlier, it's like after, you know, you wake up one day and you realize you're too dumb to do anything else, you know, <laughs> so you just, you, you do what you know, you know, and you, you, you stick with it, you know, so, but it, it, it did, uh, uh, I mean, it, it really grew on me, um, and was, had a, a, a very big love affair for the industry for a lot of years, which, you know, I mean, the changes, you know, I guess, and, and maybe, life and being jaded at some of the things I've seen, you know, okay. I mean, I, I still love doing the work, yeah, but not really so much for some of the people and companies you have to deal with, but you know, that's part of it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One side and the other side. Right. And right. I got you. So what it, so you started your, you're just out of high school and, and you're in and we can talk about, you know, between then and now as much as, as much as you want, but was, is that a 30 year span? Uh, between high school and now? Yeah. 47 years. 40, okay. So I guess I thought, I, I was thinking that you were in this industry for 30, but you're closer yeah, to 50 well, years. Yeah. From, uh, so if I started at 15, it's been, uh, I'm 62, so that's 47 years. So okay, I've been out of okay. high school for 45 years. I gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of, yeah, a lot of time, where have you seen the company kind of, has it, I mean, well, I guess I, I should ask first, has it grown, but where, where did it, where was it, like, what, what, let me try to, let me try to gather my thoughts and I'll ask a really right. good question. Right. Um, so when you, when you first started right out of high school, mm-hmm. kind of uh, what was the size and the services that you guys were doing? And then how has it grown into kind of what it is today? What were some of the, what are some of those big landmarks over the years? So when I, when I first came out of high school, pretty much what we were doing was carpet and upholstery cleaning. Okay. Um, you know, and then fire would fire damage, you know, cleaning, uh, fire damage, water damage was, was in its infancy. You know, when, when I was first out of high school, uh, Lloyd's hadn't even, or, you know, Cliff, or, or what's his name out in uh, Seattle? A dry ease guy. I can't think of his name right now. But Oh, yeah. Dry ease wasn't around then. And okay. Had, I think the first equipment was Lloyd's, was a little, you know, put a metal snout on a squirrel cage blower, right? And then had the Sears dehumidifiers that they painted different colors and developed a stand for it, and you dripped in, you know, five-gallon bucket. So... Um, so I mean, to do water damage back then, pretty much you, there was really no meters except a carpet meter that, that we were aware of at the time the industry was using. So okay. you go in and you'd vacuum water, maybe pull pad, set up fan and a dehumidifier, dry the carpet. And when the carpet was dry, everything was dry. You know, you know nobody, <laughs> think, you know, it's like, that's it. That's, that, that, that was a water damage job at the time, you know, or reinstall the carpet or whatever. So I guess as the industry has grown, you know, we've expanded with it in in the services and more um and back in the the late 80s i got into air duct cleaning 
Okay. And realized a niche there. And there was uh, really nobody was doing large commercial air duct cleaning. There was very few companies doing it. So we we had a pretty good niche from the late 80s to about 2005 or 6 where we cleaned. We, we went we went across the United States into Mexico, the Bahamas, Canada. Oh, really? Doing large air duct cleaning. Okay. Um, and then mold came along in the late 90s, and I got involved in mold remediation and got involved in the associations and stuff. So that, that was another thing that made the company kind of blow up. So with the, the large projects we were doing in mold and duct cleaning and mold remediation and then the 2004 hurricanes hit where you had all the hurricanes in Florida, Katrina the next year. Yeah. And then uh, Gustav hit in 2008 in Louisiana, and we'd, we did a, we'd, were working with the state at the time, Office of Risk Management, and did a lot of work. So from the time I came in, we were probably doing $300,000. And then 2000, that was in 75. In 2010, we did... I think uh, well, the, in the the calendar year to 2009, we did forty thousand dollars, forty million dollars. Wow! You know, and and that was mainly all restoration work. Yeah, know? and then uh, we added offices, and we're up to over eighty employees in five offices, and then it just you know it got a little much, um, and and watching the the cash flow, sure. you know, yeah. in, insurance costs. Like I told you earlier, you know, our insurance for the year was more than anybody, even the owner, was bringing home. So it's right. Bills got kind of crazy. You hit that, you know, you got to go. Where do where do you go from there? Where does it take to be profitable? How much more do you have to do? So you know, we started looking at it and basically downsized. Okay, from, from there. So we're back, we're probably back to our pre-2005 numbers, you know, what we're doing now, but we're profitable again. You're leaner. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We're making money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the most important part is you're not, if you're not profitable, there's no reason to do all this. Yeah. (laughs) We realized we were (laughs) making a good living for a lot of people other than us. Yeah. You know? So it's got to be a lot. So now with the, with kind of downsizing, um, I'm sure some of the headaches have, have gone away a little less stress or how, I guess, I guess how, and then have you, have uh, you maintained the, the areas that you, that you had at that time? We, we have, I mean, we, uh, well, we, we kind of cherry picked customers, right? Okay. So before, you know, it was one of those, you know, just wrap your arms around everything, you know, and, and gather it in. Right. So when we started downsizing, we just started, you know, I mean, you're doing business with them, but are they a good customer? Right. You know, or are they, you know, it's, you know, it's actually, that's actually when I learned after, after that long, I'm a slow learner, right? (laughs) It's, it's okay to fire customers. I'll say some people are just a pain in the ass. It's it's okay to fire customers. Yeah. If it, if if they're making your, even though you're making a little money off of them, but if they're making your life miserable, it's it, not worth it, it. It's not a good relationship. Yeah. So now, what are you doing now? So that kind of that kind of walks us through um, your job and kind of bringing bringing us to date. Mm-hmm. But I want to point out to the 
to the listeners. We're sitting in your office when we're recording, and you have uh, a beautiful axis deer on the wall. You've got, and I'm sorry, what was this? The, a fa- fallow. 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 Um, and and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of animals in here, and so I kind of I kind of want to talk about. I mean, I. I some of the hunting that you've been that you've been doing, but then also, and I look to the other side, and we've got we've got race cars, we've got Harley Davidson. Um, I know you're I know you're fishing, I know you're catching some big fish. So it's it's this is a uh, it's an office, but it's it's a man cave. It's well, a, a lot of this stuff wasn't in here, but we're in the my wife and I are in the process of moving and and building a new house, so I had to. The house we're living so, in now is much smaller until we build, and I don't have a man cave at so home this is anymore. Like a temporary so story. I, I turned I turned my office into a man cave. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love it. Growing up in South Louisiana, you know, it was uh, it, it's you know, it, it, it's what you do. Yeah, you know? you, you learned it well, especially if you're. You know, my grandfather was a my dad's dad was a a, a big hunter and fisher. And, you know, he grew up in a little town called Basile. Okay, and I think at its prime, it was at at its height. It might have been twenty five hundred people back, and that was probably in the early, you know, through the thirties and forties. And it's one of those little towns that started to decline, but it was just out in the middle of nowhere on the Cajun Prairie, you know, with nothing but rice fields and bayous and woods around it. So that's where I spent my summers and all my holidays from school, just hunting and fishing. So that, that's where that's where that passion came from so what were you hunting in those days on that in anything that and everything i mean you know as, as a kid <laughs> it, it was it was a great time to grow up right yeah. i mean it was a time where four or five ten-year-olds could walk through the neighborhood with shotguns in their hand and nobody's calling nine one one. okay so yeah we would go out and uh i mean back then any kind of small game you know rabbits squirrels okay um before the before the the ants really took over Louise, South Louisiana, there was a lot of quail. You okay, know, but because that quail nests on the ground. Yep, the ants will will kill the babies before they as soon as they hatch. You know, the ants are on them, so the quail population's pretty much gone. But I mean, there was back then. You know, going back fifty years ago, there was just any little water hole in South Louisiana during the winter, you could throw a decoy in it, and you're liable to shoot a duck. You know, it's things are different now, but it was just a, a whole different time period. You know, so luckily, I'm an, I, through the business, I was able to uh, earn an income where I can now travel to where the birds and animals are. You know, okay. So, so what's what's your I guess what's your favorite hunt is what's what's the hunt that you're never going to miss every year forever? What's oh waterfowl. Ducks, ducks and geese. Where are you? Yeah. Where are you going? Well, right. I have a good friend up in in uh, Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, Austin Rice, who has a, a a hunting club down in the southwest corner of Iowa on the uh, Nebraska Missouri border, down in that corner. Okay. So he's been gracious enough to invite me for the last seven or eight years, and I get to hunt there before the birds make it south. You know, so then. And that's really it, it's really a great place. But even if there's no birds, just hanging out, you know, with your with your friends, you see sure. once or twice a year is is fun. And then uh, in Louisiana, I hunt in uh, Southwest Louisiana, down around uh, 
south of Lake Arthur, south and uh, west of Lake Arthur, Louisiana. Okay. And there's mostly rice field uh, hunting that we do. You know. Okay. So they're coming in. So that's um, a food source. Right. The, right. Right. Okay. Um, going back to Iowa and your and your buddy up there. So is it is it like a like uh, like cabin? Is it a lodge? Is it? Are you staying like just in his guest room? How is? Well, before when I, when I originally started going, they had uh, it was they had two mobile homes. Okay. So usually when I was there. Um, the, the members of the club, Austin owned one and one of the other members owned the other mobile home and they weren't there at the same time I was. So I got to stay in their mobile home and Austin and his son or, you know, another guest would stay. There's two or three bedrooms in Austin. So I was usually by myself. Well, I don't, I don't get it, but also, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I never ask why. I mean, you know, I'm good being by myself, but I always got the, you know, stayed by myself in the other mobile home, which is great. And then uh, just the last two years ago, they moved them off and built a very nice lodge. It's oh, a, cool. It, it, it's really nice, yeah. So now the way it's set up, everybody has their own bedroom in the lodge, and then there's two or three guest bedrooms, you know, with, uh, you know, the bathroom in between the bedroom for the guest bedrooms and all the, the owners of the club have their own private bedroom bath suite. You know, they, okay. They did a great, it, it's it really nice. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it's really nice. So how many, how many owners are there? How much acreage are you guys I think, on? I think that club, I think he said it's around 400 acres, which it's, uh, it, it's a river. It's, it's basically like a little swamp. It's a little river bottom swamp that, okay they've developed and they're really big in ducks unlimited and the guys from ducks unlimited came out and helped them develop it and so it's like a sanctuary it, it yeah definitely yeah i mean in the in the evenings you can after you know the sun starts going down and you can't shoot anymore the birds just pile into that thing there's thousands of them that'll come in at that roost in there at night yeah it's it, it's uh and they're right in the in the major flight way so when the migration's going on it's it'll it's it's really it's, it's good hunting. really it's good hunting it's great hunting oh that's awesome now is it is it basically is it invite only or is it guided do they no it's invite only invite only invite only that's really cool now how many how many days are you spending there when you go usually a week okay so you get i mean it's that's a good oh it's great yeah get away hang out with some guys shoot some ducks right oh it's awesome so and i don't i th i think i've went I'm trying to think how many, i think I, I know i've went once because i remember my gun jammed and <laughs> we actually had to watch a youtube video to figure out how to un like get it all because <laughs> it was thank god for youtube is a video yeah. for everything <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely right like we were it was me my brother and his buddy and it was um i'm trying to think because there's a plug. You have to you have to use a plug because you can only load so many into right. the gun. Correct. Right, right. Somehow I stuffed that plug in there, and we couldn't get the it out. Stuff. And then and yeah, but luckily, luckily we had YouTube, and so we're on the river with our cell phones watching a YouTube video, figuring out how to get the. So so I know I went once. I think that might have been the only time I went. I didn't shoot anything. I think two flew past us, and we missed them. So that was right. that's my big. That's, that's that's your that's your duck experience. <laughs> that's my duck hunt. Yeah. Um, so, but I know a lot of people, but like like you, like they love it. 
it's it's one of the favorite. It's, it's their favorite hunt to go do yeah. is is the duck hunt. When uh, what season is this? What time? What time of the year? Uh, in Louisiana, well, in up in Iowa, it opens in October and closes middle December. Okay, and there's usually split seasons so i'm not sure how many days they get total there i think it's all the same across the flyway so so it's normally 60 days in louisiana it'll open in november and then close in the middle of december and then open again right at christmas time and then go to the end of january for their 60 days they'll do a split okay so you get 60 60 days of the duck season and then uh each state usually has an early teal season which the teal usually well historically came through early and we're in mexico by the time you know november october november got here but it seems the last couple of years you know we're shooting more and more teal even into january so apparently they're they're not moving they're not moving they're not moving as early or going as far okay that's interesting it's interesting how things well especially after you've been doing it for so long you can really see kind of those changes in nature and, and see what's going on. And, and I always think it's interesting because, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know why the teal are, are moving or aren't moving as far or moving later, but I'm sure it's, it's, there's probably some, like, tiny little thing that happened in nature that, that then set the, you know, it's just the snowball effect or the butterfly right. effect. Or, yeah, it, it, it could be, it could be the, the weather changes, but I think it's more changes in agriculture. The food's yeah, changing. Food, food's changing. Uh, that in the Midwest, you know, b- before, uh, you know, fifty years ago, we're talking about when I was a kid. They didn't have the 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 duck sanctuaries or the waterfowl sanctuaries and the food source in the Midwest. You know, north of us that they do now. You know, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri are just saying, really, yeah. really in the last twenty years have put millions of dollars into. Uh, waterfowl hunting and refuges and stuff to keep the ducks there right right you know and i i I get it you know they used to have to come here to hunt and so they fix it to where they can hunt there and like (laughs) i said luckily i'm in a position that i can go up there and hunt you know if the birds don't make it here but i think man has a lot to do with the changes in the migration other than than weather that's interesting yes i haven't i haven't thought of it i haven't thought of it like that i mean and now i'm i'm more um, white tail hunter out of Indiana, but yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, also on a simple level, you know, putting in some food plots and trying to keep deer on our property, but with the birds migrating all those miles. Yeah. When you start putting all these little stops in along their path and open water, right. So they don't have to go, right. They don't have to make the whole trip anymore. Correct. They've got all these. Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah. I haven't, I haven't thought of that before. That's very interesting. So now when you're in Louisiana and you're hunting, you said, uh, was it Southwest? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a place, a place there or is it like I kind do, of well, public? I, or? I'm a, it, it's a, uh, it's actually a guiding service that sells okay. memberships. And I'll, I, I usually buy a membership to the, uh, it's called Calcasieu Charters. Which okay. Eric, Eric Rue, great guy, great, great family. Um, and, and. Mainly what we shoot there is uh, their their thing is uh, speckle-bellied geese, the white-fronted geese, which um, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to shoot because, you know, they're in a... I, was, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. That we, one got, over, we got one. Yeah. That one over there. Oh. With, yeah, right here. That's a... 
the one with the black spots on him. Yeah. So that's a speck. That's called the the ribeye of the sky. Okay. They're they're, they're excellent. I mean, you you put that on a pit and cook it medium rare, and it, you if you didn't know any better, you'd think you were eating steak. Really? Yes. Yeah, well, that sounds delicious. Nothing like regular like ducks or so you know and other geese where you get the the gamey taste or the kind of livery taste but it's it's really good well now you're making me hungry <laughs> yeah now when are when are you hunting for those when are you going out with that service? Uh, november december january okay any of those they're, yeah they're out there I, all it, the time yeah they they seem to be getting here earlier for whatever reason you know like we were talking about the early just a minute ago that other birds coming later yeah. are, are not flying it, and the specs seem to be getting here early. I was talking to one of the one of the guys out there, a farmer I know in the area, and he said he had birds in early September, which is really early for the speckle bellies to be getting down here. Late August, early September. Normal used to be like you didn't see them till at least October. Okay, you know, they would start coming in. So, so yeah, who, who knows? You know, now where are they knows. coming from? Because I don't, I mean, I haven't seen well, them, so we don't have them in Indiana. That one is a, the one that there. Actually, the reason I mounted that one is it, it was a, a has a, a band on it. Okay, so but, I sent yep. in for the information. It was actually uh, hatched in British Columbia. Oh wow! So, so they don't necessarily fly straight up and down. He came from way of the west coast. That is that's so. Well, like mind blowing. It's it's so incredible that that those animals go that far, and it's every year. Yeah, I yeah. mean they make the they make yeah, the it, trip. It, it, yeah, pretty much the same. It's ingrained in them unless something happens that you know there's changes that they don't go to the same place or can't go to the same place because of something that man did, you know, or we did that yeah changed the field or something. Yeah, they're pretty much it's going the to the same. same areas every year. That is incredible. That's so that's so cool. And then so the well, I guess I was now I want to talk about either the access or the fallow, but what what was um what was the most recent hunt? Or was uh, about the same? I think I the fallow was the first one I killed in Texas. So probably the axis was probably the, the most recent. Most recent. Walk me through like I want to, I want to know all the details about that hunt. How did you, how did you get into Texas? What, what? Uh, well, we have a friend that has some property that he calls it open range. I call it semi-open <laughs> because you know there's a lot of high fences. Yes, ranches in Texas. Well, he is high fence on three sides. Okay. So, and over the years, animals get out. You know that exotics are all over texas now and it's year round i really don't know i think we probably went that might have been like in a a march an april or march hunt then axis aren't like other i think i want to i didn't mean to interrupt you but um with with these deer they're is it are they considered invasive species is it well they they're they're exotics they 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 kind of are fit considered invasive or more like you know the nuisance animals because but if, they, if they get no into the wild they can take over you know they're more hardy than than white-tailed deer well there's no season on them. there's no they're, season you know it's, it's open it's, all since the time. they're not a native animal any exotic it's kind of like the hogs coyotes you know or nuisance animals or exotics 
they don't put a season on them. You can shoot them any time. So that's how you're. That's how you're able to go in March. Right. And well, axis aren't like whitetail where they all drop their horns at the same time and they'll all come into you know hard horn or whatever at the same time. And axis uh, have different breeding seasons, or they breed all year round. Right? Not like deer that you know they go into rut sure. and then the, yeah. and, and then they're gonna drop babies in the spring so an axis will lose it i'm i don't know i might have it backwards but they kind of drop their horns or come into hard horn on their birthday right so you'll so you will always have you'll you'll yeah. always have a buck you know if you through the years on the property there's always going to be some animals in hard horn and some animals with with none or in velvet so they're you'll see all three stages all year gotcha. all year long that makes sense so the uh, so we went out basically it's just going out and kind of scouting him, you know, finding we'll we'll uh he's opened up his property. The state of Texas was paying the landowners to pull up the cedar trees so much an acre because the cedars suck up so much groundwater. Okay. And that was during that real dry period. You remember Texas was in a big drought a few years ago and yes. and stuff. So they were paying them to pull up uh cedar trees and stuff and clear their clear their property and get rid of it so he's opened up a lot of the property so we can glass you know get up on one of the hills and kind of look around and see where where they're at and then try to stalk them or set up so you're doing you know, a and set up in a, in a in a in a blind okay and actually you know um be honest this animal actually i shut the first time i shot at him i missed okay and he he sat there and and stood up, didn't know where the shot came from. Then turned his head and and ran through a little thicket behind me. It's probably about a hundred yards away, and then ran ran behind through the thicket. And I thought, oh, I'm not gonna let him get away. So once he cleared the thicket, I got out of my blind and ran as fast as I could to the thicket. And came out of the thicket, and he was about 60 or 70 yards away, walking away from me, just walking. He wasn't running anymore. Okay. So I threw my gun up and actually was going to do a, a, they call it a Texas heart shot. You just shoot him right in the butthole, you know, try to, okay. tour. It, it's a, <laughs> it's a kill shot, believe me, because it goes in. But uh, I shot and then, you know, didn't see him. So I'm like, hmm, again. So I went and then I found he just dropped dead right there. When I looked at it, I realized I had shot high and hit him just right in the, the back of the head. Oh, really? Yeah, it was definitely not where I was aiming, I'll be honest. <laughs> so you know, I brought him to get him mounted, and they go, oh, good shot. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's like that's where I was aiming at. But, but there was no exit hole. I shot him with a 7 millimeter, a 7 mag, yeah, at about 60 yards. The only thing I could fit in, he was on the ground with his, his, his mouth was open. Is that the bullet hit him? It that it, it came out of his mouth. That's the only thing we can figure is that when it, it hit him in the head and it just you know the shock his he mouth flew his up. Mouth that comes out. It come comes out. So, yeah. I'm still trying to process that, but yeah, that's, yeah. So there was just that little little entry hole, but no exit, no exit hole. Which have, I mean, it would have at that range, it it oh, it would have blown a hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it would have exited. It would have definitely left a big hole coming out. So. Wow. 
Yeah, no, he's he's impressive. He's yeah, very so cool. I'm not that good a shot, so it was lucky. But actually, <laughs> my best shot is just throw it up and shoot, right? And that comes from from duck hunting, you know, just you know, because right, I've never with a scope. I have too much time. The to gun, you know, I'll start getting. <laughs> Start waving around, and yeah, I'm definitely not Chris Kyle. It's not gonna, you know, I'm not <laughs> too much, too much time to aim, and I'm gonna miss. So you said you have that instinct. Bring it up. Yeah, bring it up. You're on shoot, target. Right. Shoot. shoot. Well, Huey, I think uh, we just crossed about a, a 30 minute mark. I appreciate you taking the time with me sure. today, and and sure. uh, yeah, we got to. Well, and I, I guess came up here from New Orleans, talked to your guys about yeah, some of our power distribution that. equipment. That, that's impressive. I, I definitely like. The quick takes out the math for the guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the, you start using those amp meters, and, and it makes life a lot easier. So, yes, yeah, so I appreciate you letting me come up and then, uh, sure. and then sitting down and, and talking with me for a little bit. I guess before we wrap up, is there anything that uh, that kind of you wanted to you want to say or finish up with or no? Uh, yeah, you know, I guess uh, this industry kind of reminds me of a, a song that you know it says it's a great life if you don't weaken. A great life if you don't weaken. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Well, I think we'll go ahead and, and end on that quote right there. Love it. Hugh, again, thanks for taking the time with me today. My pleasure. All right. So we are broadcasting. We're going to wrap this up, but we are broadcasting out of the Huey Miller Service Master Office Studios <laughs> down here in Louisiana. Hey, have a great day, everybody.